so, so the other problem with Pacific is like it does describe a lot of very all the fighting is at night. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. And it's a re- I mean, and historically, historically it was yeah. all at night. Right? right. Okay. But the problem with it is, is you do not have a fucking scoop what's going on at any point in the Pacific. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to talk about Band of Brothers with Will. Will's back. (laughs) Will's back and he's going to do the admin again. I am going to do the admin. Now, the first thing I'm going to say is, why are you listening to this when you should be going on and rating this podcast five stars? (laughs) Because it's great. It deserves five stars. If you've listened to one episode and you've now gone on to another one, think, search your feelings. You know it to be true. (laughs) You really like this podcast. It really helps the guys because it means more people can find the podcast. It means more people can enjoy it. It means more people can ask them questions. Ask them questions, you say? Well, if you want to ask these guys questions, you can tweet them at the Story Toolkit. You're out of a job, Luke. <laughs> or you can find them on Tumblr, or you can find them under their own names. I think Luke is at Lucius Malcolm, and Bass is at Bassim Story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tweet them questions, tweet them suggestions for episodes, tweet them. Uh, you and know, you can tweet Will because Will's also on Twitter. I, I I got on Twitter because you're on Twitter. And so Will's at Willard Foxton, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm great on Twitter if I do say so myself. And Will is, as we said in the previous one, he is this television producer. He did the Reggie Yates Extreme series, amongst many other things. Also more... um, more relevant to this you did what the Dan Busters did I did, well. I did I did I made a lot I've made a lot of history documentaries so the history documentaries I've made are I made what the Dan Busters did next which was a 90 minute documentary about the famous Dan Busters yeah. um, which also is a, fi- a, a film I really um, like that documentary uh, I'm a big fan <laughs> obviously I made it um, I did um, the search for Hitler's missing millions where we found Hitler's bank accounts <laughs> I did D-Day disaster which was about a secret uh, mission on D-Day that went horribly wrong and I've done lots of others. I've done lot. I've done about twenty or thirty <laughs> well, films. You so. were telling me about the Nazi gold. Yeah. Can you? Th- that's oh yeah. Great. yeah. This, this is great. This is really amazing. Great. So a very I've, quick tangent. This yeah, is yeah, really I've great. Been making history documentaries for a very long time, and I um, I had uh, 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 someone at my work come up to me and be like, "Oh my god! In Poland, they found a train full of Nazi gold under a mountain." And I literally like put my finger up and was like, "Well, no." What they found is a train. I'm telling you right now, there will be zero Nazi gold in this train. This is literally the fourth or fifth time someone's walked into the office and said to me, I found Nazi gold or I found a Nazi atomic bomb. And it never is. It's usually like an abandoned, it's an abandoned Nazi thing, but it's very rarely gold. It's usually like you get in there and you're like, oh, it's Nazi tins of tins of cheese. Like... <laughs> the Nazis, the, the Nazi cheese. I found um, a friend of mine called Guy Walters uh, ended up digging down and finding like this Nazi vault. What was the Nazi vault? Nazi paint. Like, <laughs> just lots of red and black paint. No, surely, surely it's just white. No, it was it was <laughs> it's just nothing but cans of white. Paint. It was actually luminous paint, and luminous paint back in the day was slightly radioactive. So the, the reason we always think of things growing green is uranium 
was oh. used for glowing watch hands, right? So it was it was luminous paint is what was actually down there, and they thought it was like a Nazi atomic project because they were like running Geiger counters over it, and they're like it's radioactive, and then it was radioactive, but it was radioactive because it was luminous paint. Uh, and so what happened with the the bu- bus in Poland? The Nazi train, train well, they sorry. dug down into the into the collapsed tunnel. They found there was a wrecked old train down there that possibly had been at one point run by the Nazis, but there was no goal. There was just a wrecked old train. <laughs> Did they find cheese? Uh, there probably was. The Nazis loved tinning cheese. So, like, every Nazi soldier... Seriously, the Nazis... Every Nazi soldier carried loads of tins of cheese. That's what the Russians were. <laughs> Which takes us on to what we're doing today. <laughs> My new documentary, Nazi Cheese Quest. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so some of this might get cut. No, we don't <laughs> no. cut anything on the show. I, Everything I, we do is gold. I think we should just loop that nice like cheese <laughs> segment over for the, for the rest of the hour. Okay, well, please uh, just give us a quick um, rundown of Band of Brothers, the show. Did we, did we introduce that we were going to do Band of Brothers? I, I said it straight away. The okay, so, yeah, so. yeah, we're talking about Band of Brothers. Specifically, we're going to focus on the very first episode of Band of Brothers, Kurahi. Which yeah. I really like saying that word, so I might say it several times. It's an Indian word. It's the name of the mountain that they train. Anyway, so synopsis <laughs> for Band of Brothers. So Band of Brothers, very famous HBO Spoilers. World War Two spoilers. Yeah, well, spoilers for World War Two. World War Two ends with the Allies winning. Uh, <laughs> uh, so essentially what happens in this episode is all about the paratroopers from Easy Company of the 501st, Air, uh, 501st Parachute Infantry Regiment. And they are in the uh, 101st Airborne, right? And the, it's Easy Company. Correct me if I'm wrong. Easy because they're E, right? Yeah, let's A, B, C. Yeah, right, I didn't yeah. know that. So and I was Abel, watching it. Baker, yeah, Charlie, When they started Dog. mentioning all the other companies, yeah. I was like, oh, that's why it's called Easy Company. Yeah. Okay. So this is a story all about Easy Company. And the first episode, Kurahi, is all about the training camp in Georgia mm. where they all were trained to be paratroopers. Mm. So we follow them from the first days when they were arriving at boot camp all the way through to arriving at England and getting ready to do their first... Para- combat parachute jump into Normandy on D-Day. Yeah. So that is what happened. That's what we see play out over the episode. Yeah, the, that's the first episode. Yeah, and in particular, the, the conflict we see in this episode is a conflict between the original commander of Easy Company, who is mm. a guy called Lieutenant Hiller Sobel, played who by, played by David Schwimmer. Yeah. And in the last episode, we also uh, were covering a, a, a you know a, a documentary, but a, a drama based on on fact um, about AJ Simpson. Yes. Uh, and so the key takeaway point is, if you're making one of these, cast David Schwimmer. It'll be a huge success. <laughs> he's he's always great in them. Uh, David yeah. Schwimmer is the key. But so essentially, yeah. So you've got Hiller Sobel, who's the original commander of Easy Company. He's a real jerk. And he is he is put up against Lieutenant Dick Winters, mm. who is going to be in many ways the hero of yeah. Band of Brothers, and it's the it's the the battle between these two men for yeah. who gets to command Easy Company. Into is, battle, it, yeah. it, take them into battle. For the and, first the f- time. and the first episode uh, ends with them in the plains, heading towards Normandy, but before the shooting begins. Um, it's not until six minutes into the second episode that they actually start getting shot at. Um, so uh, it doesn't it doesn't end uh, you don't see any combat in the first in the very first episode it's all uh, training yeah and it's great uh, it's e- really great 
Well, the, these guys were actually saying as we were as we were yeah. coming in to do the podcast that, that to do the podcast they'd gone back and watched the first episode. Yeah, and it, we hadn't seen it in years, right? Yeah, and both Luke and I. <laughs> It's just like we just start watching the next episode. You yeah, the, the the box set. I mean, I watched it. I think seven or eight years ago. Um, yeah, rewatched the first episode, and that box set is now go- like as soon as I'm done with Westworld, this is next on my list. Just the rewatch. Band yeah, of I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's an amazing show. It's really um, great. And, so, and I'm someone who does. I'm not a World War Two or war story fan in general. Like I don't care about the past. <laughs> no, I I don't like you. You are a huge world. Will did them an amazing um, blog uh, on World War One history. Yeah, called uh, First Draft of History. Which... And what you did, if I remember, is because uh, it was the hundred year anniversary of the First World War, and so you did a blog on what happened that day a hundred years ago. Yeah, and what it was was I took a news. I had a, a collection of newspapers from the First World War, so I right. contrasted what the newspapers were reporting compared to what was actually happening on the day. Right. So, de- so, so, so a lot of the time they were like absolutely fake news, wildly <laughs> wrong. But what was quite interesting was was what they got in many ways what they got right as opposed to what they got wrong. Yeah. So it was it was an interesting project. I did it for the first three months of World War One, and then like you know, yeah, I you had a life out. instead. What? You <laughs> had a life. What instead. was that called? Blog's called First Draft of History. It was really great, and uh, I liked it a lot. And um, so you you're really into World Wars and well, it's, it, it was clear from your um, uh, your back catalogue of work at the beginning that yeah, well, like war. Yeah, right. Whereas stories, I, I am, I am not. Uh, I'm really not into this stuff. But Band of Brothers is just excellent, um, and it's it's just really wonderful. So, for someone who doesn't really pay much attention to World War Two, I found it's because I'm, I'm, I'm the same as you. It's not it's not no. a flavor I look for in a show. But um, it, Band of Brothers has a way of pulling you in, and you, yeah. you almost. It's not that you forget that it's war. It's just that. It, it, it's just it's so, just such a well told story. It's just well done. You just you stop thinking about those things. Okay, yeah. so a few, few things you wanted to talk about. Well, um, let's go. About to, Kurahi. Yeah, let's go to. Um, uh, well, I have the note montage written down. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I I look at this now, and this this came out in I think 1998, and it was very much like no a, no that was Saving Private Ryan was like oh no it's 2002 it's, something like that. No, it was a li- I think I was still at uni- well it doesn't matter it was it yeah. came out it was very much early in the days of cable TV. Oh yeah, very much. And at the time, it was seen as a huge risk for HBO to be doing this. Mm. And I think that if you were doing it now, I think you might start it later. As good as this episode is, mm. I don't know if you'd put this training montage in. Oh, you wouldn't get Kurahi? No, I don't know if you would now. Really? Yeah, I think you might go straight in on D-Day and then maybe flash back to this. I don't know if you could now. You would now go an hour of television with no shooting for episode really? one. War but, television with no shooting. Yeah, yeah. Really? I don't know if you would. So, so I think it's interesting that they decide to start on this... Mm. Character, like very character-driven episode, and I don't know if you do that now, right? Because it's I, I think they were in. You know, you guys have been saying we're not drawn into warfare. You know, we right. like this isn't interesting to us. And I think that they their big fear was that this would be limited to a really male skewing History Channel audience. They were really right. nervous about it, and so they started with a character-driven piece that basically says. Hey guys, this is going to be a good show. It's not going to it's be. It's basically a boarding. It's a boarding school episode. Yeah, pretty much. Right? It's like Dead Poets Society or something. Yeah. 
Um, I you know now that you, now that you mention that, it's like that might be why I like that. So, why I enjoy it so much because I do like those kind of stories. Actually, yeah. I really do like the kind of um, <clears throat> stories about teachers and students and things like that. Mm. That in boarding schools, I don't know why I've always liked that. Um, uh, I, I, it's just interesting that they wouldn't necessarily go through with it. I mean, what is that episode? Is it the, Band of Brothers is only eight episodes, isn't no, it? No, it's ten. ten. Is it ten? Yeah, it's ten. It's a really short series as it is. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that first episode, it's... Because Sobel, the Schwimmer's character, doesn't show up again, does he? He does, but very briefly. He's not a major he character. No, he's right. not. He's kind of out of the way. He, he shows up very briefly in two other episodes. He yeah, shows up so, very briefly. He busts. Oh, it shows you how many times I've seen this. But he later he catches Malarkey, the uh, the little Irish guy, with a motorcycle that's not his, and busts <laughs> him for having the motorcycle. And then he shows up again when Popeye Wynn comes back from hospital, and he helps Popeye get back. And that's where there's the great scene where Winters is promoted to major. Sobel is still a captain. Oh, yeah. Winters is now a higher rank because he's done all these heroics. Right. And and then you get a really great callback at that point where yeah. Winters Sobel doesn't salute Winters because he's still pissed off about the events of Curry. Yes, and Winters says, "You salute the rank, not the man." To Sobel, once again reinforcing that Winters is a great guy. I, I remember yeah. that. I remember that. That was oh yeah, I forgot all about that scene. Yeah, that's great. Some sort of weird beeping in the background. Some sort of car alarm. You you guys at home have to ignore it. Carry on, Will. Yeah. Uh, so, so suffice to say, there is a. So this is. So I, I don't know. Like Eric Bork, who was the producer of this show, mm. um, <clears throat> I read an interview with him where he says he's not sure that they would do it the same way now. Really? Um, that that you know, I think there was a sense that like a lot of people now, when they go back and do like a rewatch, or when younger people who go and watch it, they feel it starts quite slow. I, I, you know, that phrase. Uh, th- things start slow. I think people just sometimes they don't recognise the pace of a thing. They just can't tell. I've been listening to a podcast uh, with the Walking Dead writers Mm. and they were criticised towards the beginning of Walking Dead that it was a slow show. Really? Yeah. Because people said that about Breaking Bad. Exactly. And it's just, (laughs) it just feels to me like that people's perception is so wrong sometimes. Because Kurahi is not slow. No, it's actually it, the pace of Kurahi is really, really quick. Mm. It just it keeps changing. Okay, they go from this scene to this scene to this scene to this scene, tick, 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 like that, and introducing all the characters and everything is the difference. The criticism of this I mean, of, the, of Kurahi being slow though would be based on the fact that uh, war is generally about um, what life and death. Well, it, the, victory and, and but, it's, yeah, it's okay. about people being shot, but that's that's because they're not watching the show. They're sitting there expecting something and they're not paying attention to what they're actually be- being given, which is what a lot of people do. And it drives me crazy, actually, when um, you sit down and you've got such expectations of a certain thing that aren't necessary. And you, you don't stop to just let yourself enjoy it. You're just sort of demanding. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah, it yeah, frustrates yeah. me a lot of the time when someone will say, oh, that was too slow or there wasn't enough of this or there wasn't that. And it's like, why did you... Th- Maggie was a really good example of this when I was watching Maggie, which is the zombie film with Schwarzenegger, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is not an action film. And you're watching it, and within 10 minutes you go, this is not an action film. Mm. You can tell. So if you're sitting there expecting action, you're making, you're not paying attention to it. You're ignoring all the scenes. You just want to see the shootouts. 
Yeah. And it's like you're missing everything else of substance. One of the things I do think is interesting in Kurahi is how they start the episode, though, right? Because I think I do get the impression that this was a concern for them. Mm. The people tuning in for a war show, all of the trailers yeah. have, all the on air trails are all like shooty shooty bang bang. Ergo, <laughs> ergo. That was when, the pitch for Band of Brothers, wasn't it? Shooty shooty bang bang, yeah. Um, so essentially did you see Saving Private Ryan <laughs> then get yourself ready yeah, for shooty exactly. shooty like, bang band of brothers yeah but, but Saving Private Ryan famously starts with like 30 seconds of guys in a boat and then book a book a book a book a and oh, it's yeah. like half an hour of absolute mad carnage yeah. And I think a lot of people knew that was to an extent the selling point of this. So I think yeah. they were nervous about it. And that's why I think there's a really good little post pre-credits scene where what happens is, is you see them all getting ready. It's D-Day. You see them getting ready. They're going to get on the plane. It's just about to go. They're just yeah. about to go off to D-Day. Yeah. And it's cu- and then it cuts and then the, the, the operation is cancelled because of weather historically D-Day was put back a day it was going to be June 5th and it actually happened on June 6th yeah and essentially so they use that but that is like a promise it's like it's yeah. basically they're turning to the audience and they're going we promise you shooty shooty bang bang you've just got to wait so it's kind of like giving giving a promise that that is definitely coming you are going to see and I like the way they did that because you as the audience are kind of now thinking the same way that the the characters are yes. which is I well I it's, we're supposed to go to war. That's yeah. the thing that's supposed to happen next. I can't believe it's been put off for bad weather. Then they flash back, show you all the hassle they had to do to get to that point. Then they show you that scene again. And you go, oh, they're being blue-balled. Yeah. You know, and now... then, then, <laughs> so then of course, you're like, okay, there's a bit of exhilaration. We're going to go, we're going to fight the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. And then second episode, everyone is dead. <laughs> this is a horrible thing. What are we doing? Oh, and it's getting worse from then on. Yeah. Uh, do I you, do like the pre-credit sequence with yeah. the actual soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you think the season would work without Kuri? Uh, I think you could jump in. I don't know because I think you'd write it differently. If you yeah. were writing it, if you were writing an episode which started with them jumping, so the first five minutes is they're jumping out of the planes, and then you're flashing back the training. Uh, on that night where kind of they're all confused and everything, I think it could work, but I think you'd write the series differently. I don't yeah, think you'd I, write I, it the same I, way. Yeah, if you were to say, hey, watch Band of Brothers, and you said just start with episode two, yeah. they wouldn't know who anyone is. No, absolutely. You'd have no empathy for anyone. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, yeah. care about anyone. Uh, so, yeah, you do need... I mean, Kurahi's really great. I really like it. I mean, it's a good episode. It's yeah. the whole thing, like the whole of Band of Brothers, is really well crafted. I just think it's really interesting that I feel it feels like it's it's of its time as well. So, so mm. for example, I don't think now you would have all those lovely little interviews with the actual veterans. On I, the I agree background. with you. That's something that felt felt really out of place. Actually, yeah, I liked it, but it it felt like I'm watching a DVD extra. Yeah, totally. And um, you wouldn't have that now, I don't think. No. And it's it's because again, I think HBO were afraid at the time. There was there's a lot riding on it, and I think they wanted to kind of give you the reverence that they had. They wanted right. you to feel like these are the real guys. This really happened. This yes. isn't just made up. And yes. I think now they would have well, partly all the veterans, but almost this, all the veterans are dead, so it would be hard this, to do physically now. This is what I said about um, factualisms, this, yeah. about stories that are about the actual world, not realism stories that really did happen there is a tone in fancy you have a tone of wonder and in realism you have a tone of plausibility but for factualism the tone is reverence even if the events are horrible or they shouldn't have happened there's a sense of reverence this really happened and so you have to pay attention to the fact that this really did happen to these 
real people so there's always this tone of reverence in the same way that like you know when you watch a sci-fi story or whatever there's the sense of imagine if the world was made with people with laser eyes and so on and this it's like this really happened that's the tone so it's, I, I'm quite happy you said reverence without any coaching from me oh, good um the other thing I think is 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 interesting in sort of a producer in in this is kind of work, 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 working through this as a producer mm. is they is the level of risk they were taking because we it looks like such a safe bet now you're like World War Two <laughs> right. Steven Spielberg Tom Hanks Tom Hanks cash money you know like <laughs> the, the money's rolling in but they this was a huge risk for them at the time and yeah. this was before like box you know box sets were like a thing but like they were just happening yes yeah. there was no Netflix yes the only way you could really watch it was by watching it on HBO or on BBC at, at this time the only real show that was um, was of this of the of the golden age as we would yeah, call it yeah. is the Sopranos and I think I think the Wire but even if the Wire was on no one was watching it yeah I think this predates so, both and this is what no no this doesn't predate the Sopranos I think it I think it's they're going on at the same time no, or this was Sopranos started or this in was green lit earlier I think oh, it was oh that might be lit, that might be the case yeah, and then they they got the more case. confidence as they were going that might along be the with case. it yeah yeah yeah. Um, but like um, so, but what they'd done before this was they did a six-part series about the um, a six-part drama doc series about the the, the space race, oh. um, which is much more heavily documentary and oh, much less drama. But then I think that while making it, they looked at it and they were like, "We could make this totally as a drama." Then they got the and then what happened was Hanks. Yeah. And um, Hanks and Spielberg had become friends with the historian Stephen Ambrose while making Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. And the thing about Saving Private Ryan is Saving Private Ryan to an extent is... Because Saving Private Ryan is in the 501st Airborne. No, the 101st Airborne. Oh, is he? Right, yeah, yeah. So the whole thing is while researching Saving Private Ryan, they came across Ambrose's book which is called Band of Brothers. Right. And they read Band of Brothers and they were like, why don't we just take this book and do it for television? And it comes back to what I was saying about OJ, where this was a single source and it is adapted... Right. Not word for word, but certainly in structure, it takes very much from Ambrose's book. Because what Ambrose did was he just interviewed... He got to know all of the veterans of Easy Company Mm. and he picked Easy Company because of what they did... Mm. Right, they w- they dropped in on D Day, and they were the guys who took Hitler's Hitler's bunker at the end of the war in, right, yeah. in, in the Alps. Yeah, and so he was like, "Well, there's got to be a great story in there." And so in earlier books, Ambrose had talked to people like Dick Winters, yeah. um, who was quite a big name in the army by that point. Like, so so the in the second episode of Band of Brothers, they attack a gun position, and that gun position, that attack is so well done that that's still taught at the U.S. Infantry Army School as like the yeah. correct way to do really? this. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, so so he was quite a big deal. And he, they, he'd interviewed Winters before, but Winters apparently just said to him, "Look, you should just talk to all the guys because come to our reunion, get to know everyone." And that's exactly <laughs> what he did. Yeah, he, I love real life Winters as much as I do the, <laughs> <laughs> the show Winters. Okay, yeah. sorry, Karen. So he comes. So he comes. He, he introduces. He introduces Ambrose. Ambrose talks to all the guys, and then Ambrose constructs this narrative beautifully from all of the guys' accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them he didn't speak to. So Webster, who is the sort of the really kind of book smart one, who's been to Yale and everything, he was dead before Ambrose met all the veterans, but he'd mm-hmm. written an unpublished manuscript about his time 
about what happened. He'd written a novel oh, about Webster. what happened. Webster had written right. a novel about what happened. And Webster's wife um, gave this to Ambrose when Ambrose was like... Because there were lots of them who they'd lost touch with. Mm. And so so, so, uh, so, so Ambrose went around looking for all these other interesting characters and kind of met them and pulled them together. And then he pulls them together into this book, Band of Brothers, which is a best-selling book. But I think everyone's attitude was it can't be made. And this goes back to the production thing. Oh, it can't, it can't be made because it's, an, it's this huge ensemble cast. Yes. And you can't focus on one person. Yeah. Uh, to, to take you through the whole war you've got all of these different characters doing different things and it's really really difficult to adapt right so I, I th- so Ambrose had been told it was impossible to adapt and then I think it was it was an incredibly brave decision by Hanks and Spielberg to mm. adapt it and now they took Hitler's bunker in the Alps right yes was there tins of cheese there Yes, because there are tins of cheese wherever the German army goes. Because the German army okay. rations is they have tin cheese. I see. Yeah, so definitely tin cheese there. And there was an enormous amount of wine there as well. So <laughs> yeah, the I remember wine that the cellar is, yeah, yeah. In, is in the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, you wanted to talk about POV as well in this in in the Curie episodes. Yeah, it's mm. really interesting because they. They, about Sobel, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things I I think this is about is it comes back to what I was talking about in the OJ episode about single source. Like they pick from a single source, mm. which is which is Ambrose's book that they had the rights to, obviously. But in the book, they they draw a conclusion very strongly. The conclusion's drawn in the book very strongly that Sobel was a douche, <laughs> and the veterans who still attended the reunions. Mm all agreed on that, right? They all thought Sobel was a douche, right? Right. They have different variations on why they thought he was a douche, but they all come to that conclusion. Now, other people in the 101st Airborne did not have that opinion. And Sobel did not go to the Easy Company reunions. And Sobel had a totally different opinion of what happened. (laughs) And and, and Colonel Sink, who's the commander of the unit, had a totally different opinion of Sobel. Because the way it's played in the... In the in the in Curry is Sink realizes that Sobel is a jerk and removes Sobel to where he can't hurt anyone and he's going to be sent off to train other people. He he realizes that um, that he has no respect from his his yeah. his company. Right? It doesn't. I don't know. It, the, the episode doesn't really delve into how much he knows about what's going on, but he knows about the court martial. Yeah. Because Sobel has Winter's court martial for a mere infraction. What actually happens is. Sobel says to um, after Winters sort of embarrasses him because they do a training thing together and Winters does it properly and Sobel gets his entire team lost and then is running up the, the road going hi-ho silver giving away everything and it's all gone horribly wrong um, after that he says uh, he writes him up he reprimands him because Sobel says I wanted the latrines cleaned and he said you said you wanted them cleaned at 10 in the morning yeah. And Sobel says, I changed my mind, Winters. I wanted it at 9.45. And he goes, you didn't tell me. And Sobel says, I, ha- I called. I telephoned. And he goes, I'm staying in a place without a phone. Right? So clearly he's lying. Yeah. Uh, I had a runner sent. Well, he didn't get to me. Okay? And of course, Winters is a soldier. He doesn't say, you're lying. Mm. He's just saying, "There's you didn't say this stuff. Right? And then Sobel says, look, you have two options. You can either just accept the reprimand. Okay? Or you can have a, go through the whole appeal of a court-martial. And he just says, be a man, just take the, the reprimand. And Winters goes, no, I want the court-martial. Because he didn't do it. Because he didn't do it, and he knows that that's it. So he, he, so he walks off, and that causes a huge problem. Then, because he's on uh, being about to be court-martialed and all that's a huge problem, and he's not in the unit in the, in the same way anymore, he's just in charge of the mess, um, the non-commissioned officers, they all decide, well, we're going to 
uh, t- we're going to say we're not going to serve. And so that's desertion. Yeah. And they're in England. I mean, they could get shot for that. So they decided, so he's aware that he's lost control. Uh, however he's trained them has resulted in them, they will not, he can't put that situation into combat because yeah. they'll just get everyone killed. So he just pulls them out. But I don't know if it's uh, if he thinks that it's because he's he's a jerk. He doesn't he doesn't well, say Sobel's that. position, his yeah. real position in real life was yeah. that the reason they didn't respect him was because he was a Jew and they were anti and, and they were anti Semitic. And it's the forties, right? Ah. So like Jews can't get into most golf courses and most golf oh, courses will have signs saying no Gentile you know, Gentiles only. Right. And so Sobel's like the reason they didn't respect me was because I was Jewish right. and like they didn't respect me from day one and Sobel was a was an extremely good trainer of troops, right? Like right. he Easy Company is widely regarded to be one of the best units yes. um, in in Europe. Like it's genuinely in, in, the in show, World War Two considered to be a they, huge deal. They do bring up the anti-Semitism. Yeah. There's a one scene yeah. where one of the characters says, "I don't want to go into combat with Sobel. Uh, I don't want to go into combat with Winters because he's a Quaker." Yeah, uh, and he goes, "How do you know he's a Quaker? Well, he's not a Catholic." Uh, and I don't want to go into combat with Sobel because he's a Jew. Yeah. Um, he calls him, what does he call him? A child of Abraham, I think he yeah, calls him. Yeah. Because he's a Jew. And then another guy in the company goes, I'm also Jewish. And he goes, good for you, get your nose out of my face. And they, they start having a punch up. Yeah. And it's treated, and then there's two other soldiers, and it's like, hey, what's the fight about? And so, uh, he called Sobel a Jew, and so him being a Jew, he took offense. Oh man, a fight over Sobel? What's going on? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so it seems like the, the people's. Uh, it, it was like there are some anti-Semites, yeah, yeah. but that wasn't what it was about. It was more about when he was put under any pressure in the field. Yeah, he completely crumbled. But, but the point I'm making, but is your that point that you're making is that Sobel himself is saying it was anti-Semitic. Yeah, Sobel's view of those incidents is completely different. So yes, so what's going on is you've got a bunch of testimony that Ambrose has written down, and Ambrose mm. has interpreted it as well. Yeah, and then you've got other people who are looking in, and, and other people see these events very differently. Yes. so I think one of the things that's really interesting is is you know, in that in that scene, Sobel is drawn like you. You know, you're left with the conclusion that Sobel is incompetent, yes. and he is he is extremely uh, petty, yeah. and it's a very you, negative you, view. I, I got the sense, yeah, I got the the feeling, yeah, it's a very negative view that he is incredibly petty. He's not qualified for the field, but yeah. he knows how to train. Yeah, uh, and um, I, there was actually a bit at the beginning um, of that episode, and it reminded me of something William Goldman wrote in Adventures in the Screen Trade. Yeah. Which was about protecting the star. Do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th- there's this thing where uh, he talks about um, how he writes a scene in a film, and Robert Duvall. No, he doesn't write it. So Robert Duvall's in a film, and the way the scene works is Robert Duvall is basically very abusive of his son, and ta- and hurts his son, and bullies his son, and throw- like they're playing basketball, throws the ball in his face, insults him, and all that stuff. And he goes, Robert Duvall's a real character actor, so Robert Duvall doesn't mind that he appears like a jerk. Done, right? He said, however, if Robert Duvall was a movie star, they would have to protect the star. And what that would mean is, before he does the horrible things to the kid, the mother would say to Duvall, how, you know, he's got no confidence. If someone just could force him, it's like, okay, honey, I'll give him his confidence, you know? And so the idea is, like, you have these aside scenes explaining that actually he's doing this for the for his own good and that he really does care about him and it's an act and he's not that horrible person. And then you like... Robert Duvall's character more. That's what a protecting the star thing would do. And I was watching Band of Brothers and I don't remember Sobel being that much of a jerk. Mm. And I was expecting Sobel to go, hey, the reason I trained you so hard and I made you guys hate me is because 
that way you'd all rally together against Winters and you'd be all like uh, with Winters rather and you'd all be like together you'd do whatever he say you'd be the best unit that's why I was being a jerk to you and as I was watching it and he's getting more and more petty I went oh Schwimmer's not trying to protect himself no one like, Schwimmer's happy he's just come off Ross from Friends right and now he's playing a total jerk he's playing a character that everyone is supposed to hate and I just thought wow how great is that that he's done that and he still manages to give him a vulnerability it's a ballsy call yeah but it's a really well written it's really scene great. as well because you kind of get you, really you feel sorry for Sable when he gets you when do. he gets removed and that's really great it's great writing because it reflects on that on that idea that Sable's a real person yep. and, and he has real gr- there's, there's great acting on um, on Schwimmer's part where he's just sitting in the chair that's obviously too big for him I, th- I was just about to bring up that right? point I thought it was wonderful um, uh, I don't know whether it be direction or just like set design but he's swallowed up by this chair and this enormous fire behind right. him he looks yeah. tiny he looks tiny and he's got these big eyes yeah. and you just feel like Actually, I feel kind of bad for you, but you are a jerk. And he yeah. sells the sadness brilliantly does, as well. Yeah. Like he really wants to lead that company into action. Yeah, because he he made it. He really, yeah, yeah. He and he's not. And, and now that you point out the anti-Semitism, yeah. Part, and of course, Schwimmer's Jewish. Yeah, right? yeah. So I wonder if Schwimmer put that into his performance. I don't know, but Schwimmer. I just, I, I was just watching. I was captivated by how Schwimmer doesn't. He, there's never a moment where Schwimmer tries to make you feel like deep down. He's, you know, he's, yeah. he's got an ulterior motive of, I'm doing this for the good. It's like, no, he just thinks this is the right way to yeah. do it. And he doesn't get why they're being how they are. Like when they defy him, when they all sing. And he gets yeah. so upset with that. And that was the moment where he can turn around and do the, you know, the, the William Goldman yeah, thing yeah, of just yeah. going like, eh, I knew it would work. That was the moment. If they want to protect him, that's what you do. It's like, they didn't do that. He, st- he just hates them more. And you go, wow, that's, that's just great. Coming yeah. back to your point, though, you think this all, at, like, they had to disregard that that um, uh, real life point of view to keep it focused well, on well yeah I think I think you would have had a nuance I think I think if you were making this as a documentary you might have you might include especially if you were making it for the BBC you might include a counterpoint you might go mm. you might have especially if you had Sink the colonel available as a as an interviewee you might bring him in to sort of say well actually I didn't think Sable was that bad or whatever and, and yeah. the wound in Sable is such a big deal because not only is he being told you won't lead your company it's you will never go into action yeah, you'll never you, fight. You, you'll never, but you are not. Basically, saying you're not a soldier. You're yeah. not going to be right. in action ever. See, this is one of the great things about the pre-credit sequence of the sol- yeah. the, of the actual people who say it was a different time. We'd just been attacked, so you sign up. Everyone wanted to go, yeah. and that they made a point. People killed themselves if they couldn't go, and it was just a different time. Right. Yeah. Whereas now, that's not how we look at things, right? And people basically join the army in the hopes that they never get sent to combat. They just mm. want a career. They want money and so on. So, um, you know, they want to be able to actually be paid and not have to worry about things. So, as uh, the stability of it. So, they but they don't want to go to war. Whereas back then, they they, they they were volunteering. And then you see the whole training thing and that sense of, like, they're really getting ready to go. And then, of course, it gets called off. And, mm. Yeah. Why the point I was the point I'm sort of getting to as so we kind of round off this bit is there were multiple decisions that they they took yes. around the Sobel character yeah. mm. right and and 
the historical events were that you were going to minimise Sobel and you were, you know, because he didn't jump with them or the rest of it. Mm. You were going to have, but there's another character in real life called Lieutenant Meehan who is actually the guy who takes over the company from Sobel. So it doesn't go direct from Sobel to Winters. It goes mm. from it goes from Winters to Meehan and then Sobel to Sobel Sobel to Meehan and then Winters only gets command on D Day because Meehan's plane gets shot down and Meehan dies. Oh yeah, well, me, we don't see me. You, you, I think you do see him like oh, in a yeah. jeep, and he's like, "Hey!" But we were talking about like I think he's he's actually someone quite famous. I think like no, it's not Neil McDonough. No, 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 it's not Neil McDonough. It's someone. It's someone who later goes on. There's loads of people in this who oh, later go just... on to be like super famous. Like yeah. Michael Fassbender is in it for like two seconds, holding he has a spoon. Two, he has two lines. He's the yeah. guy who empties the water canteen, and it, there's no water in there. Yeah, and like Simon uh, Pegg's in it. And Simon like, Pegg's Tom in the Hardy. background. Not in this episode. Tom Hardy's in an episode. The guy who plays Moriarty in Sherlock is in the second episode. He just shows up out of nowhere and starts committing yeah, crime. It's like, a, it's like a, it's, and there's loads of people who are in bigger roles who never go on to do anything, and yeah. there are loads of guys who are in smaller roles who sort of. Yeah. Blow up enormously yeah, after this. Yeah, because this is before Homeland. This was Damien oh, yeah, Lewis's yeah. thing. Damien Lewis's big break in this. Yeah. I also want to get, uh, show some love on Mike for Dexter Fletcher. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very Dexter much Fletcher. Fletcher. Yeah. He plays um, one of the sergeants, doesn't he? He yeah. does. Uh, Miller. Uh, it's I think it's I hilarious because when you watch that first episode, David Schwimmer is the star. He's the star power of the episode, right? Yeah. He's the whole star power of the episode. He's like, hey, this isn't my show. I'm going to leave this show. But I'm here to help you guys get into the show. I'm David Schwimmer. Remember me from Friends. And you're watching it now and you're going, he is surrounded by the who's who of today you've got you've got Simon Pegg who they did a film together like what was the film they did Run Run Run, Run, Fat 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 Run. Fat Fat uh, so they did a film together so they've got Simon Pegg Michael Fassbender and Damien Lewis it's just like what kind of a cast is this but like you, you look at it now and if that was your cast you, you don't need another star there's too many stars in here do you think the Sable Bass? Do you think the Sable thing was like a sort of a stunt casting thing? Because you're oh, right, I think he so. was a huge deal. At I the think time. that was the uh, that was the big stunt casting thing, because they they obviously they they um, he would have cost them a lot of money mm. at that time. I think absolutely David Schumer was stunt casting, and he he was great. And I think David Schumer championed to be in it. Yeah, I would have thought he like he wanted to be in it because it let him stretch a lot more after Friends, and he got a really good opportunity. But it's it's just really strange to think that back then, that's the stunt casting. When in fact the whole cast is, amazing, is just yeah. a lit- litany of stunt casting. Oh, it, it was it just occurred to me that it's no wonder the the regiment was so good when Magneto and Bane were. Magneto <laughs> 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 and Bane. Um, okay, you wanted to talk about what well, in fact. Yeah. Talk about the casting, it's a perfect moment. To yeah, I mean, it. one of the things I love about this... Because Magneto was around in World War Two. He was, as a child. Yeah. <laughs> it worked, it works so well. Um, to that talk about band the of the Mutant Brotherhood. <laughs> There's an amazing, amazing job done in the casting of this series, and, and a terrible job done in the casting of a subsequent series, which is The Pacific, which is yes. like the follow-up to Band of Brothers. It's really notable how 
good the casting is in Band of Brothers because there's a huge... I talked to the costume designer for Band of Brothers once, a woman called Anna Shepherd, who's really amazing. And basically, the big problem is they're all wearing the same thing. This is a huge problem in military shows. They all wear, like, olive drab. They all wear exactly the same thing. They're all wearing helmets, which kind of removes hair as an identifier. Right. (laughs) So they are... uh, so, So it's really hard to tell. It's a consistent problem with military shows the comment I can't tell who's who yes right particularly so, in something I would have thought like World War 2 where everyone would have also been white yeah absolutely mm. so there's no racial diversity there's no black guy in wise cracking black guy that's what this show needs <laughs> there's no there's no black guy like the most ethnic diversity they get is like there's some Jewish guys and there's an Irish guy like a yeah. guy who says he, he's, he's like uh, he says he's Irish but he's got an American accent there's, right. there's no it's, ethnic diversity there's Italian guy or is there is there's uh, also Italian guy yeah yeah there's um, oh yeah there's the guy who like vomits eating the spaghetti yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah, the guy yeah. the little guy yeah um, but yeah, no, there's not a lot of ethnic diversity in the cast because historically there wasn't. Um, but they cast it. The brilliant thing they do to cast it is they cast people who are radically different heights oh, and yes. who look who who facially look very different and have different hair colours. So the one heights. of the key ways they differentiate that they divert from the way people looked in real life is they changed hair colours. So because they wanted because they knew who which characters were going to be in which scenes and mm. then they cast and they were like okay we can never have three guys the same height with the same hair color in the same scene mm. so they they do this sort of like casting roulette where they've got like some tall guys and sometimes scenes where they would like if you read the book a particular character says this but they've recast it in the drama mm. for that casting purpose where they've got one of the really tall actors and a really short actor so you can just so you can tell them apart and they're, yeah. they're constantly mindful of that and that had to have come in right. I don't know whether this goes on set with the directing or whether this was built baked in from day one with the writing but they they are really aware of the audience's difficulty of telling people apart, and they put them in situations yeah. where you can really tell which character is which. So yeah. so so I think this is a writing thing where they they sat down at the beginning and they were yeah. like, okay, one of our key because I think that we're going back to the original thing I was saying about this was a big risk for HBO. Yeah. Mm. So to answer that question, and it's a good question of how do we tell all these people apart, they they baked in that solution, but that determined which character could be playing against which right. scene. So if you actually look at pictures of Winters, Nixon and Welsh, who are the three officers who actually go to war with them, mm. they actually kind of look a bit alike. But right. when they cast them, they cast people. So you've got Damien Lewis, he's tall, he's got ginger hair. Yeah. You've got um, the guy who plays Lewis Nixon. I can't remember the, the can't actor's remember name. name. But the guy who plays Lewis Nixon, he's like, always, he's always, this is another thing about Lewis Nixon, it's a character point but it's also a visual point he's never properly shaved because he's a bit of a bum he's a bit of a loser he's an alcoholic he's never shaved so Damien Lewis is always perfectly turned out perfectly shaved ginger Nixon unshaven dark hair dark skin Welsh big nose sandy blonde hair very short and stocky so they're different shapes they're Mm. different sizes they have radically different facial features and that's Great casting, yeah, and it's, and it's not something that just has to apply to military stuff. Um, Milos Forman, who directed uh, with the film uh, Amadeus, said uh, one of his problems whenever he's watching this is that you can sometimes people look alike, you can never tell them apart. So his cast in Amadeus, everyone is so distinctful; they all look completely different. Like the uh, emperor has um, two different counselors along with Salieri, and they, he's made them 
deliberately very different from each other. So it's just one of those things that is is worth paying attention yeah. to. Like the characters should look different. She's really great craft is the reason I think, I think so. it's it's really yeah. well done. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot all about the heights. Mm. I forgot all about that stuff. Like that, that they had I remember you telling me like every, mm. they've got all these characters of different heights. Um it's great. But it's a tool that you can play with in that sort yeah. of production sense of like Yeah, especially how do we when you don't have stars. People. Yeah, yeah. Because at the time, obviously if you have stars, if everyone is a ama- like Ocean's 11, right? Everyone's so famous, everyone knows who they all are. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Everyone yeah. knows it's Brad Pitt, George Clooney, like that that's why you've got those guys together because they're all so famous. It's a way, a way of m- making characterization work in like yeah, uh, in it's, your favour. Right, it's just keeping things sort of clear. Mm. Yeah. One of the other things they did that was quite interesting from a production point of view is they mm. would introduce... When the veterans were still alive, they would introduce the veterans to the actors and then the actors would base their performance. So it's really notable with... Um, if you've ever seen Bill Garner and the guy who plays Bill Garner, he is, like, doing the veteran. He's, like, right, doing yes. an impression of the veteran. And, you know, that's, I think, in many ways, if you watch the veterans and then you watch the real guys, the guy who plays Sergeant Garner, which comes much later in the, in, in, in the series, he's a big mm. deal. But he is... He is brilliantly impersonating the veteran because he'd actually met him mm. and and a lot of you know a lot of people you, you put the two down next to each other and you can see all the mannerisms and things that he's taking from the real guy mm. so I, I think it's it, it's it's interesting this one as well because everyone yeah. who was a lot of the veterans not only made were still alive when this was made but they had like quite an active part in in the production right. like mm. they they really respected them they really took them seriously they t- took their views on board mm. so I, you know so they they were using the veterans as a source in the way that you would use like book and yeah. Um, and, yeah. and other kind of research as a source. But one of the things I think is interesting about it is again it's all the people who are going to the veterans association and are, over years of telling the same stories to each other they have developed their own narrative like almost like a kind right. of a like a group storytelling right. so so they all know all the stories so you get very slight differentiations in the stories but they're much closer than i think other people in in the company mm. who weren't attending the veterans reunions were mm. so this comes on, on on a point about factual accuracy so the huge mistake is in Later on, there's an episode which focuses almost entirely on a character called Private Albert Blythe, mm. who is... Is he the medic? No, not, no, no, that's much later. It's episode three or four, and Blythe okay. is a guy who is really scared. He's terrified, mm. and he gets hysterical blindness, and he can't see from combat fatigue. Okay. Oh, and it really yeah. follows that guy. And it tells the story about combat fatigue, and yeah. he can't fire his rifle and he gets uh you know and and they have to like it, there's the whole arc of the episode mm. is he's winters is like convincing him to fire the fire that fire his gun it's i think it's the episode called carantan and they're defending this town mm. and tanks are coming at them left right and center and it's really hellish and eventually he manages to like he breaks through the barrier. He manages to pull the trigger and fire, fire his rifle at them. Mm. And then at the end of the episode, he's really up and for it. And then he gets shot in the neck. Right. And killed. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, so that is what everyone in the company remembered. It's what Ambrose wrote in the book happened. Mm. But what actually happened is Blythe got shot in the neck, didn't die, right? So Blythe went back to a hospital in England 
oh. and survived. And then the way replacements work is they would be cycled back to another unit. So Blythe never went back to Easy Company. And everyone in Easy Company was like, well, he was shot in the neck, must be dead, right? So they oh, all wow. totally believed it. None of them ever got in contact with him. Oh. Blythe actually fought through the whole rest of the war. Then he, he stayed in the military and fought in Korea as well and wow. died in 1957 of a heart attack. Right, okay. And his family, when Band of Brothers came out, were, because they'd never read the book, they mm. were furious because they were like, Grandpa didn't, Grandpa didn't die in 1944. Wow. Like, he went on and fought in Korea. So, like, they also felt that, like, his... Um, you know, his honour was being impugned by saying that he had combat fatigue and he had hysterical blindness and all that kind of thing. Now, that is definitely someone, something that people at the time, but you people who were in the company, remembered that happening. But not to Blythe. Well, but they don't know. Like, we don't uh. know exactly what happens. And, and the, the point I'm making here is, like, when you're telling these stories, these, these true, mm. quote, true stories, you've got to remember that you're just telling a version of the truth. I, I, I was also thinking, you mentioned this, and it, it's yeah. relevant here as well. Um, you mentioned about how they gave, because of the way they did the casting, so they have certain yeah. group, certain that cast roulette that they have, certain people would say lines that they didn't say, but someone else said, yeah. right? And I remember William Goldman writing. He was doing a book on. Oh no! It's it's. it's he was doing a film on. Um, it's a bridge too far. Bridge yeah, too yeah. far. So that was it. He did the bridge too far, and he gave the lead character an awesome line that was really said, which is the Germans come up to the bridge and they say, um, uh, "How does it work?" Uh, they they shout, the Germans said, "We the, want to." They Germans come up and they say, "We want to discuss surrender." That's and the it. British reply, "Well, there do seem to be rather a lot of you, so you have to come over like." in single file or something yeah, like that and it's obvious willing the Germans to take are surrender. asking yeah. for surrender for them to surrender but they're saying no we'll take your surrender right <laughs> and it's a great line it's wonderful and he put it in the screenplay and the main character says it played by Anthony Hopkins played by Anthony Hopkins and, he, and the, the person who it's based on the real human being uh, had, him, had William Goldman for lunch and the guy is sweating and he's nervous he goes he's thinking you know he, the guy fought the Germans why is he scared it's like I didn't say that line. He goes, no, I know, but someone did, and it's a really good line. He goes, you don't understand. If you put that in and you make my character say it, it will seem like I told you I said the line, I'm taking credit, and I'm not. I will become a laughing stock. People will hate me. They'll think I'm uh, I'm a douche if I do this. So William Goldman said, okay. He changed it. And then he swore he would never do a story about someone who's actually currently alive. Afterwards, oh, yeah. Right. So he's, he's never ne- done. He's got- never done a story about someone who's actually alive anymore. Yeah. You won't do it uh, after after that. They had to, they have to have passed on. Yeah. Because because uh, it so it's interesting. But you're saying like them actually doing that was it helps with the cast. Yeah. But um, it's kind of interesting because of course they were all being interviewed. They were all alive, so I'm sure they would all talk about it and be okay with changes. They know each other so well. Mm. That they're not worried about things being done but behind the, their back. The point, I'm, the, the thing about the factual accuracy here is, it's it's like it doesn't actually hurt the show no. at all. And most people who watch the show, that in in current editions, if you like watch, if you watch it on Netflix, mm. there's a card at the end that says. Blythe recovered and went on and fought in Korea. So they correct it with a card oh, now. I might be on the DVD. But as it, ori- as it originally aired and as it went on the DVD, there isn't a correction. It's got the original sort of like Blythe dies <laughs> resolution. Oh, right. So I think the, the, the point is that like you're, 
you are telling a version of events yes. and you have to be ready for one you have to be ready for people to go no that didn't happen yes and you have to kind of have a way of explaining that so one of the things I think mean, this is getting sort of very anecdotal but when we were making Dam Busters mm. the 90 minute film what the Dam Busters did next and yes the whole point is... I, I remember when you filmed this because you yeah. were sending me pictures of you in the ship. In, in the Lancaster, yeah. In, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, planes. Yeah, yeah. And you were just like, you were you were so happy. And I, was, was I, amazing. I could see just how incredibly happy you are. Because, yeah. you know, as I say, we've known each other 32 years and I've known all, all your war, <laughs> all your war fetish. Yeah. So just seeing you in the damn buses. Do in the plane. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty exciting. But basically... <laughs> was, it, was it like the picture of Trump in the truck? Almost exactly the same. As Trump in the truck. There's a fi- there's film footage of me in the rear turret of the Lancaster as the Lancaster's taking off, and there's this funny noise, and the noise is just me chuckling to myself <laughs> over the top. Um, but basically, yeah. So when we were making Dan Busters, quite often we would be in a situation where we would be like, okay, so this happened, and it happened this way, mm. and then we would have the veterans who hadn't been on that mission be like, oh, well, well, that would never happen like that, and you realise that everyone's perception was radically different. So I remember an argument between a historian and a bomb aimer, and the bomb aimer was like, oh yeah, so what I'd be doing is I would be like aiming and I'd be telling the pilot like left, left, right, right, left, 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 go, go, go. And then I'd hit the button and I'd be talking to him the whole time. And the historian was like, you couldn't have been doing that because the, the intercom doesn't work like that. And the historian was <laughs> technically correct. Like, unquestionably, the historian yeah. was, like, technically correct. But the veteran was like, no, no, this is exactly how we did it. And, right. and you don't know who to believe in those situations. Yeah. No. So it's very difficult. So ultimately, I think when you are making... The first thing is, when you are doing anything from a factual document, bear in mind, you'll get it wrong. Right? Like, it's just <laughs> inevitable. You will, you will do something that somebody who was really there will say, it didn't happen like that. Because right. everyone's memory is different. But the other thing is, you, I think you have to change things. I think yeah. you, you have to change things to make things kind of make sense. Right. Um, and so, so Band of Brothers, I think, like, you know, they do... There's a lot of stuff that's, like, truncated or yeah. it's put in other people's mouths or... See, this is the reason why I am... Uh, while I can enjoy these stories, I, I can't write them. Mm. I could I can't... Every time I've even thought about them, I don't want to do anything based on real people because that choice of... Like, when does it become lying? Yeah. I don't know how to... Uh, you know, I don't know how to do it myself. I can see other people know how to do it. And they can make those choices. I, it's just a choice I can't do. So it's one that I step away from. I think from. as long like, as Like, setting you... it in a historical period yeah. is one thing. But, I mean, about actual specific people. I think if you said... I think I if know. you are moral... I mean, obviously it's a moral question, right, at some point. But I think yeah. if you honestly believe the story you're you're telling is... As close to, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you don't have to make it as close to the truth as you, as, as you, you know, you can mess right. around with things. You can, you can move things in like date and time. You can push yeah. characters forward, pull characters back from what really happened. Yeah. You can maximize the role of some people, minimize the role right. of some people. Like you have, you don't have as much freedom as when you're creating it from the whole class. No. But you do have the freedom to decide who your main character is. Yes. You do have the freedom to decide what incidents you show. Yes. And if you if you've decided okay we're going to follow Dick Winters, Dick yeah. Winters is going to be our main guy, yeah. then that guides you as to which incidents you can 
legitimately suppose. show. That makes sense. So there are other actions that Easy Company are involved in yes. that Winters isn't there for. And a lot of the time in Band of Brothers, they just ignore those because right. they're focusing on Winters as a character. Like, sure. Winters and a core group of guys as, like, the ensemble cast. Right. Yes. And I, I suppose... Sorry. There yeah. are other interesting moments that occur... Uh, that they don't put in, and they yeah. that fr- what they decided, I suppose, is the way I'd put it is they've in documentary say you've picked a precinct, right? Okay. So the precinct is like the whole is is the the boundaries of your world. You're never going to go outside of that. So something mm. like twenty four hours in A and E, you're always in A and E. Something gotcha, like gotcha. Um, something like uh, educating Essex. They never leave the school, and in in the same way with this, what they do with Easy Company is they go, we're never going to leave Easy Company. That's a decision they made. They're never going to leave those veterans. And that's actually quite a hard decision to make because it limits what you can do. But a lot of the, you're talking about ball pits a couple of episodes ago. But like <laughs> that's their ball pit. Their yeah. ball pit is like what? we will only show what Easy Company do, and anything that happens outside of Easy Company, it's just not. What's real. interesting about that that it occurs to me is it's almost like to to write something to write fiction, you feel like you have to have an authority over it, right? Yeah. So you make a fictional world. Well, no one's going to know that world better than you, right? Um, and if you're going to do something that's set in something real, uh, you know, there's an onus of I have to research this to know enough about it that I can talk about it. I'm not wasting people's time. It seems with um, with factualism, my pro- my feeling is the 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 the, the uh, scope of it is so large you can't possibly I can't possibly know what happened in Bastogne better than a historian or people who are actually there therefore I can't write it because I'm not that but what you're suggesing with this precinct thing is you're actually sh- shrinking the world down so that you can be the authority in that world yeah. and then once you are the authority you can actually make those choices um, properly, but you still make choices. Like in you the Bastogne, yeah. I mean, you have to make choices just to reduce the scope of the world, yeah. right? Yeah. In the Bastogne episode is a really good example of that. It's a really interesting example of this whole idea of like, what should you leave in? What should you take out? Mm. What if it's a fact? So in the Bastogne episode of Band of Brothers, which come much later in the series, it's, my, it's the most harrowing, isn't it? It's yeah. my favourite episode. Yeah. I, know, yeah. I I remember watching that, and just going, this really happened. Yeah. So basically, if you haven't seen this episode, you haven't seen Band of Brothers. What happens is, is they are holding a position outside a town called Bastogne. It's in the winter. It's the Battle of the Bulge. Isn't it? Yeah, Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, it is the depths of winter, and they're holding this this like tiny line of trenches in a forest. And all that happens in the episode is they get snowed on, and they get horribly, brutally shelled yeah. by German artillery. It's unbelievable. And it's it's literally like it sounds like it's it's incredible television. It's a great watch, yeah. but you are literally watching guys going through hell, and they can't do anything about it they because can't. the guns are miles away. They're not advancing. They're just sat still, getting bombed and yeah. shelled for yeah. like an in the snow for an hour, and it's yeah. incredibly heartbreaking. There's this yeah. heartbreaking scene where you see two best friends who you've come to really love over the series one loses his left leg one loses his right leg right yeah. so one guy loses his left leg gets it blown off and the guy that goes to help him gets his right leg blown yeah. off then their other friend runs out to help them and there's this incredibly iconic scene where it's Neil McDonough plays yeah. it he goes and he finds them I think he, he finds them with their legs blown off yes 
Or is he, he finds two guys getting blown up in a in a shell hole. I can't remember. But anyway, he stands over and he sees the wreck of his friends and he just like it's shot from behind on a wide shot. Yes. And he just drops his helmet in the snow. I and you that. know that instant that he is broken. That yeah. he is not the man he once was. Yeah, and he never comes back. He never comes back. He yeah, he's com- back. he's he's got post traumatic stress. That's he's it. basically Done. shipped out of Easy Company because he's just mentally he can't yeah. cope anymore. It's an incredibly good episode, yeah. but Here's the thing they changed about it. Ah. In the act, there were no Germans. No, no. In the act, there were Germans with their cheese. But <laughs> in the actual battle, what happened was the, the Germans cheese. were attacking them all the time. So there were Germans coming at them and like running towards them, and they were shooting Germans left, right, and centre. And there was actually a scene that they shot of a battle with German tanks in the snow. Right. But they decided not. To, it was one of the most expensive sequences they shot. Yeah. But they decided not to use it because mm. it diminished the episode right Why? because it because having the actual attack and the combat broke up the 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 quote realism of being under the artillery barrage oh wow so they so if you had followed the reality you would not have got the actuality you after you come the, away yeah. from that that show yes. you feel like you know I cannot watch that show without having a break afterwards because it is such it's an intense really emotional tough. experience. It's really tough. But if you'd followed the actuality of the the reality of the events, it would not have been nearly so harrowing. It's mm. funny because as soon as you bring in that physical um, physical enemy that is beatable, because if you you shoot yeah. an enemy, they drop. Yeah. Like there's a, it's a kind of small victory for them. But if by keeping the enemy just that relentless shelling, there's nothing they can do about it, no, and so yeah. it heightens that. Like how it's, it really becomes about how long can they hold out, yeah, yeah. right? As opposed to anything else. Uh, whereas if you bring those guys in, it gives them a break. Yeah, yeah. Paradoxically, like being in life or death combat is actually how crazy is that, right? Yeah. Well, the the thing. See, I sorry, thing... I have I, I have this I have a, a sketch in my head of the testing plot, the genre. Yeah. And my my I don't I haven't got enough examples to be certain, but my, I'm convinced that the the genre is about it's not about strength, it's not about perseverance or surrender. What it's fundamentally about is courage, and the emotion is harrowing. Right. So that's why it plays so well with war stories. Mm. And I think what what you're saying, like you know, you bring life death in. Mm. Well, it's that's it's not what that's not what it's about. That stuff is not about whether or not they live and die because geez they're gonna die <laughs> everyone's gonna die yeah. in a way they're lucky if they die it's about their courage like can, can could you could, that's why the most powerful part of it is the guy not losing his leg it's the guy breaking when he sees the when they see yeah. them it's just that moment of he's he's overwhelmed with, with it it's just done he he has nothing left in him anymore he's gone he's hollowed out as a human being because of that scene that's what the power is about. So yeah, having people show up suddenly makes that threat much more external. Yeah, it shifts mm. it in the wrong way, what, which is strange. I think that's a good breakdown of it. Well, what you said when we were doing the OJ episode uh, was that a docudrama or something like this, mm. you're trying to create an actuality, not a reality. Yeah, mm. and this comes down to these choices that you can make. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's it's about I think it's about putting the audience in that world yeah. and having the courage to not slavishly follow the like the timeline of facts right but be willing to to use your writer's instinct to go what is the story we're telling right. and which of these events that really happened 
can be dramatised in a way that gives the audience that sense of what yeah. of the story you're telling. Because you're still with all of these things with with um, with Band of Brothers in every episode. They are one of the other things I think is interesting in terms of what you might not do now is it's closed eps. Right, so that's ev- a very good point. Yes, so every episode, so 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 there's no sense of like there's never an episode that ends on a cliffhanger. I mean, Kura he kind of does. Well, sort of, but you're, the story. Which no, is you're quite. Story, I, I know your point. Yeah, yeah. which but is, also makes sense. Kura he is the first episode. Yeah. Well, the story that happens in it is 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 closed. Is yeah. totally self-contained. So in, every in episode, fact, it, it's it's a framing device. Yeah. around it, right. Yeah, so every episode is self-contained, and that feels—that's the only thing I think that feels. Uh, ironically, this is one of the least dated programs, even though it's twenty years old. Yeah, because it's a period piece. Yeah. So, so, so everything else dates really badly. Like the Matrix, they've got huge phones, even though it's like a sci-fi film. They're like, put on phones, giant phones. But in in um, in in Band of Brothers it's yeah. just beautifully observed World War 2 and therefore yeah. it hasn't in the many CGI ways it hasn't great. it's not that bad it's not bad but you don't I, see very much there's not very much of it though either. no there isn't but when it is sh- when it does show up it's a bit obvious well they've got a lot of practical effects as well so yeah, like, when, they, ha- when they had to tank, I mean, that was, that was too, it was too early to yeah, try yeah, yeah. when you see a tank 95% of the time it's actually a tank in that show as well <laughs> um, as it should be in real life obviously <laughs> well, I actually found making D-Day Disaster it was cheaper to hire a real assault tank assault landing ship than it was to CGI one yeah. because I literally I was like I, I, we, we were talking about how much it would cost to CGI uh, like this because the particular kind of ship was called a landing craft tank it's like it's like a gigantic landing craft that you've got 40 tanks can assault a beach from right and I was like, how much would it cost to CGI? We're talking on the phone. It's like CGI companies like Framestore and places like that are like, oh, crazy money, crazy money, thousands of dollars a second. And and then I was like, hang on a minute. Is there anyone who's just got one? And and I remember my boss being like, you really think someone's just got one? Like like a ship that assault lets you like 40 tanks of salt out of it, just lying around. And I was like, it's worth making some calls. Anyway, make some calls. We found one in Ohio and it is, it's amazing. It's this gorgeous, like giant ship. And we were like, how much is it a day? And the old man who owned it was like, whoa, $500? And we just like, we just borrowed his ship, sailed up and down the river, like did all kinds of things with it. So, uh, I, I, Will got married uh, earlier this year, and uh, I, we had two best men. I was one of them. Yeah. The other one was a guy called Matt Woodsmith, and Matt gave a speech in which he said the stages of a Will story, and the first stage is intrigue. <laughs> that wow, what an amazing story. Then the second stage is clearly that's not true. That's a fake story. Will's making this up. The third stage is a witness to the story tells you that no, this story is true, and then the fourth stage is when you realise you are in a will story. <laughs> you have all these crazy things that have happened to you, such as like I'll just find a guy who has a tank, a tank landing ship, tank not landing just a tank, ship. the tank landing ship. Yeah, oh, I've found Nazi gold in a train in Poland. <laughs> no, no, no I, you haven't. I haven't found. I found. <laughs> 
crap the thing. I've never found because Nazi I've cult. been on so many of these expeditions. You're like Indiana Jones, but only for World War Two. We never found any Nazi gold. The closest I've ever come to finding Nazi gold is we found Hitler's bank accounts, right? And Hitler is still getting paid royalties for Mein Kampf by Amazon, and so basically, like. <laughs> Every time anyone buys a copy of... Because the Amazon... The version of Mein Kampf you can buy on Amazon is like the Brazilian edition of Mein Kampf. No one ever took back the rights for it at the end of the war. So basically every time someone buys an issue of Mein Kampf, this money goes somewhere. And we were like, well, where's the account? So we got this amazing forensic account called Ken Yormark. And Ken, like, found Hitler's bank accounts. And we were like... and, And the big reveal of the show was, like, Hitler didn't pay his taxes <laughs> like, <laughs> if you didn't think he was a bad guy before man what an asshole <laughs> he didn't pay for any of those panzers what a douche <laughs> can't believe he's getting royalties from mine but yeah we found his but we found and Hitler had dozens and dozens oh. of bank accounts but this bank account was still open and it was just collecting money like, oh, you know, people that's... were just paying into it because... I think this is probably as good a moment as any to push on just to the, the yeah. counterpoint you oh the last thing yeah you wanted to talk about Pacific yeah so I don't know if you guys have seen Pacific no because you told me it was terrible it's really bad because uh, yeah. a, a band of brothers came you made me watch it I said this is amazing and then you <laughs> then Pacific's coming out oh tell me what it's like and then as soon as it came out you that's don't bother with Pacific yeah it's a bit like it's a bit like when you got me to Doctor Who here's Blink and watch Blink is all Doctor Who this wonderful no. I put on the Pig Man <laughs> Pig Men in Manhattan episode the Pig Man in Manhattan episode of Doctor Who is by no means the worst episode of Doctor Who the next Who. episode I saw was 42 that is pretty terrible yeah, that's a pretty yeah, bad yeah. one yeah. Uh, anyway so Pacific so Pacific has many 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 problems and I'm sure if the producers <laughs> of Pacific who and, and the, the irony is is one of the things that's really interesting about Pacific is it is a it is the rare example of something that like Spielberg, Hanks, Playtone made that just didn't work. Mm. Like it, and I think they would accept that it didn't work. And, sure. and I don't know whether they'd agree with me about the reasons, but definitely there are serious problems. So the first right. big problem Pacific has is, and I mentioned this a little bit in the OJ episode, but it doesn't draw from a single source. It draws from three separate books, mm. one of which is called Helmet for My Pillow by Robert Leckie, another one of which is called the last of the old breed by um, Eugene Sledge mm. and the third of which is a book not by but about a guy called John Bazalone mm. and John Bazalone is I th- I think he was the only person ever to win the Medal of Honor twice oh right okay right so he takes these three characters who in real life didn't know each other right and we're actually quite solitary guys. So mm. unlike... And they were all in different regiments, right? Right. So immediately you've lost the precinct. So you've got right. Bob Leckie and John Bazalone on this island. Mm. And they don't know each other. And they don't meet each other on the island. And you've got a bit of story about Bob Leckie and a bit of story about John Bazalone. Mm. But the John Bazalone story is really hampered by the fact that... Like, no one spoke to John Bazalone because he died in... He dies in the show. He dies in 1945 right. on a Japanese-held island, right? Mm. So it's a book written about him which has no input about his feelings. So the Lecky book and the Sledge book are all about, like, feelings, 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 feelings. Mm. And Bazalone is, like, this kind of like man of iron because it's kind of almost like a propagandist book about him oh I see right but but they try to kind of layer on this like what did John Bazalone really feel but they don't know what he felt so they kind of feel like they can't kind of have any moments of doubt for him Mm. 
And there's one episode where it's all about Basilone meeting and marrying his wife. And it comes from his wife's perspective. And, you know, I'm fairly sure if my wife wrote a, wrote a TV episode about me, it would be pretty laudatory. <laughs> but but it's it's obviously someone who really loved him saying about what a great guy he was. So, like, right. so, so the Basilone stuff is deeply problematic anyway. Mm. But... But but it, it's also really problematic because it massively jars in tone with the Lecky stuff. Where the Lecky stuff is like, he's terrified the whole time, and he he doesn't know what's happening, and like you know he just wants to survive the war, and he actually gets invalided out because he pisses himself too much, right? Wow. Like you know he gets like a urinary tract infection because he pisses like he literally is so scared he pisses himself so much he has to get removed from the front but he's but the the, the reason why like it's a great book and the reason why Bob Leckie is like you know he is so honest about that he's so honest about his fear and overcoming that fear Mm. and Sledge's book is about how he became like a kind of a monstrous person that like took trophies and right Leckie and Baslone are very much at the beginning of the war and Sledge is at the end and Sledge is fighting a fundamentally different war right. to the one Leckie and Baslone are fighting at the beginning. Right. And Baslone is like the bridge between them because Baslone fought in the first battle that Leckie's in and he fights in the last battle that Sledge is in and mm. obviously Baslone gets killed. But Baslone like doesn't like, like the three so the three characters never meet, so the precinct is kind of all over the right. place. And they're kind of going through the motions of going through similar experiences, but not the same experiences. And they're all told at different speeds. But they also have big problems whereby, like, I know all the stuff about all the uniforms and everything. I could not tell anyone apart. Yeah, I, I, when you, told, when you told me you couldn't tell people apart, I thought, that's, uh, there's, I won't be able to follow this. Yeah. Because... You know, like one of your big gripes with John Carter was that the uniforms are the wrong. uniforms are wrong in John Carter. They're the wrong colour, and it like, <laughs> the Civil War uniforms. Yeah. That's it. So basically, right <laughs> at the beginning, Brian Cranston turns up, and I'm like, oh, Brian Cranston, amazing! And then he puts on a uniform, and I'm like, that is the wrong colour of uniform. That is a much lighter blue than it really should be. And like John, my relationship with John Carter like started on a downslope there. <laughs> so, so <laughs> if you can't tell the uniforms apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in Pacific and no one can yeah so, so the other problem with Pacific is like it does describe a lot of very all the fighting is at night right okay. yeah 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 right and well, re- I mean, and historically, historically it was yeah. all at night right? right okay but the problem with it is is you do not have a fucking scoop <laughs> what's going on at any point in the Pacific there's like Guys who you can't recognise anyway with camouflage face paint on running around <laughs> in the dark and you cannot... So the battle scenes are incredibly unclear. But also there's, the, the stakes are really... like in one of, the, one of the key things about Band of Brothers is the stakes are really clearly laid out. And it's really good writing. The stakes both personally and... In Band of Brothers. In Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. The stakes, both personally and militarily, are laid out very clearly. And it, it, Band of Brothers does have some quite heavy exposition occasionally, but I think you need it to kind of get that clarity and the emotional content of the relationship between the guys gets you through. Pacific completely lacks that, so you don't have any kind of emotional connection between the characters, but also the military exposition, like, isn't really there, and therefore, like, I knew what was going on, like, I historically know what's going on, and I haven't got a fucking clue what's going on on the screen. (laughs) But beyond that, like, there were battles that happened during the day, right, okay, and there's a really good film by Terence Malick called The Red Line, Thin Red Line, 
Right. That's uh, is that Ed Harris? Uh, it's got enormous cast. It's got like John Travolta, Bill George Clooney's in it. Like it's I'm one thinking, of those. No, I'm thinking of Enemy at the Gate. Yeah, no. Thin Red Line. I saw it years ago. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It's like a it's like a kind of a color picture book of of desert islands. Mm. Jim Caviezel's in it. No, I'm thinking of the one. It was, the one I'm thinking of is, was in Russia. That's um, Enemy at the Gate. Yeah, yeah. Enemy at the Gate. So, um, but yeah. So so basically, what happens in Pacific is there were battles during the day, but they feel really like constrained by the fact that the source material mm. at no point does Lecky. Lecky was mostly fighting at night. Um, Baslone was mostly fighting at night and the big battles happened at night so they feel like well we'll shoot it all at night and and it was really the whole point is it's incredibly confusing it's in the jungle it's at night no one can see anything and they they recreate that a bit too well frankly like it's it's, so it's it's deeply unclear as as like so I think it suffers from poor direction Mm. but the core problem is you can't. You don't care about any of the characters because the characters don't. The precinct is drawn wrong, um, and I think that there is the potential for making a show. Because the other thing, the other really good thing about um, mm. uh, the other really good thing about Band of Brothers as as source. So this is really about. It's less about um, like the Pacific is bad, and it's more about. I think the reason the Pacific failed is because it badly identified its source material. Yeah. So so what Band of Brothers does is it. it picked a source that had a very clear linear narrative that was ripe for adaptation so you go okay so yes. there's all these guys we have the views of those guys and they go on a very clear journey from Kurahi, georgia to the eagle's nest in in berlin mm. well not in berlin it's in actually in austria but anyway yes they, they go on that journey and we follow them and they they did all the key battles you know d-day tick battle of the bulge tick right off to Austria, and that's the narrative that we mm. follow, right? Now, they're almost unique in that being a unit that was in all those battles, so it's a really good choice to pick them, and it's an even better choice because you've got the source material. Yeah. Stephen Ambrose has done all the work for you. You've got the actual people. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Pacific, there was a real problem in that, like, Lecky, for example, was dead by the time... He died right. of old age by the time it happened. Right. They didn't try to do Band of Brothers by like like getting together some like the first Marine Division and getting them all to talk about their memories. They went from published material. Yeah. So I think the big problem with Pacific really is they, they badly identified their source material. And right. there were a lot of projects which are doomed before you <laughs> even pick up before you open the world. I was about to say pick up the pen, but nobody picks yeah. up the pen anymore. Before you <laughs> open like there are multiple projects and I deal with this sort of thing all the time in in professional life where the project has been completely irrevocably fucked <laughs> before anyone has written a single word okay <laughs> Because decisions have been made before yes. anything has happened that are fundamentally the wrong decision and are yeah. sending you down the wrong path. That I, I, I mean, I, I'm not in, the, in a production company, but there are a number of times where uh, if I've been given something to consult on or uh, I'm watching something, people go, what went wrong with it? And my response is, it made several mistakes before they even started filming. Yeah. Like you've made, so, particularly with, uh, with action writing, one of the biggest mistakes that they do is they... They book as part of pre-production entire set pieces before they even have a story. So you have they're going to have an enormous tank chase in Captain yeah. America. They're going to have an airport fight in Civil War, something like that. And they haven't worked out why. Yeah, and it's just well, that that kind of thinking means by the time you're on set, you've everything's wrong. 
Yeah. You're lucky if you're going to get anything good. I've got a fix for Pacific, by the way, as go well. On, let's Can hear I ask you a quick question yeah, for the fix? Um, is, there a, is there a Kurahi episode in Pacific? Do you have that initial... Weird, sort of, but it weirdly comes about ep- episode seven. Oh, really? Right, yeah. So mm. the Kurahi episodes, they start it, as I recall, right? So there's an episode in Australia. There's two kind of like non-combat episodes, right? There's one which is in Australia, and it's all about the Marines, like, dating sexy Australian ladies. <laughs> and it's not very good. At night. At night. At no one could, no, and you can't tell them apart. Genuinely, the guy who plays Bazalone and the guy who plays... Uh, Lecky look really similar. So like it's and again they're dating sexy telling ladies in Australia at night and it's really confusing. I distinctly remember a point where I was like, wait, is Basilone fucking the Italian girl too? No, it's Lecky. Oh god, that's what's gone wrong here. I now see what's gone so horribly wrong. Pacific turns into a bedroom fast. Yeah, I did by the that's way. Quickest. By the way, I did have I didn't I, I checked like the brightness on my TV. Like it was one of those shows oh, that was wow. shot in such a way where you're like is my TV okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Last time I did that was at the end of The Sopranos. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought the TV cut The TV out. had cut out. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> Actually, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's quite a... F- my Netflix often... This is getting way into, like, like, like <laughs> you know, like, sort of... Um, way into kind of off-the-rails territory. But I watched um, quite a lot of Breaking Bad streaming it. Okay. And there were a lot of scenes, where, and I was writing, I was working like quite often while Breaking Bad was on, and I would, I would, it would be so magnetic. I would quite often be like, "Oh, actually, I'm not going to do this work. I'm just going to enjoy Breaking, <laughs> Breaking Bad." But there were multiple points in Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad, the director does a lot of like long holds, yeah, like long yeah, holds yeah. on scenes, and there were multiple times where what happened was the streaming thing had stuck, and I was like, "This is a bold shot choice, <laughs> like to hold that scene." And it was like it's like a desert, it's like a desert sunrise or something. And I'm like, bold, thirty second hold. And then I'd be like, no, this is just stuck. No. <laughs> it happened all the time. I just listened to a Vince Gilligan podcast talking exactly about that. Like, yeah, long hold. So that's but yeah, I would, I would, I would often be watching it like a deliberate long hold and be like, this is a great, this is a such a bold shot choice and then I'd be like wait is the DVD no no it's definitely like a, just a conscious decision so I think I maybe like took of his shooting style I think I maybe like got completely the wrong idea there's nowhere near as many long holes in Breaking Bad as I think there are like, oh that's brilliant so what was your fix for Pacific my fix for Pacific is Robert Leckie the guy yes. who got got uh, wrote two books he wrote Helmet for My Pillow which is the book about his own feelings in the war but he also wrote a book which is called Hell in the Pacific which is about one battle but the really interesting thing about it is is he takes the battle from because this one island is mm. it's the only place in World War 2 where you have the navy the air force and the marines all fighting at the same time and if any one of them lets the others down they'll Mm. all die right right so he wrote that book and they would have been much better as a source material to focus on that book because it's full of interdependent characters the characters all know each other they're all in the same place at the same time so if i'd been there i'd been like i know helmet for my pillow is the award-winning more famous book but you should go back to hell in the pacific and just tell yeah that story 
well over 10 episodes and that would be incredibly satisfying because at the yeah. start of that story the americans have lost everything they've basically at the, the start of 1942 everyone forgets there were more americans in captivity than there were in the american army right so the wow. japanese had taken so many americans prisoner that the, the American army... Because the American army basically was completely destroyed in the Philippines. We all forget this, after Pearl Harbor. Really? Completely destroyed in the Philippines. Um, and, yeah, so they've got nothing at the beginning of that story. And at the end of that story, they've basically won the war. Because if they... if By holding that island, it just kind of... Wow. The whole thing cascades the other way. Wow. And so that's a much better, like, microcosm of the whole Pacific War. It's got much better characters. Amazing. You could do much more stuff. But also it would be very expensive to film because you <laughs> need, like, battleships and planes and stuff. But... Sum that up. Essentially, your fix for Pacific is doing a completely different show. <laughs> no, no, it's not a different show. It's literally using... It's a different one. Well, it is. It'd make, a be- make a good show is my fix. <laughs> but actually, no. It's also my fix for, like... Agents of Shield, better show, please. Agents of Shield, Iron good. Fist, better show, please. Like, like, no, no. But, but my my fix is 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 the source material. There was there is source material that is only yeah. not even, like one one inch to the left on the bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. That they would have read as part of doing right. doing it, and they should have based it on the more. Sure. Expansive, less personal. So the, the major flaw is wrong source material. Yeah. So that's your fix. Just yeah. the correct source yeah. material. Cool. Okay. Well, let's let's sum this monster up then. Okay. Um, I will hand the mic to you. What uh, from all of this? What, if anything, or what many things should we be thinking about? Okay. So first things first. If you're making an adaptation of a real event, cast David Schwimmer. It'll be a hit. <laughs> But seriously, I think the key thing is pick a series, <laughs> pick a single source, make sure you've picked the right single source, and pick a, and and the things you're looking for in a single source is you're looking for a precinct that contains all of the stories you want to tell and has enough interesting characters that you can kind of puff up and blow up into mm. into characters that people will want to come back and engage with on a dramatic level so i think it's about that that selection of research material is really really important yeah i also think um uh, yeah like have in mind the other thing i would think is when you are doing and this is true for everything but have in mind production difficulties that your script will come into when you're writing it mm. so a joke i often make when i'm because i do drama docs and stuff a joke i often make is like remember if you write ext rock concert you've just spent fifty thousand dollars <laughs> right okay As those those four words have a cost right okay so 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 and and obviously it came up in this one in terms of the the casting and the uniforms mm. and but be aware that when you're pitching an idea you're going to have to answer that mm. and if you bake that answer in at the start then it's much easier because it guides and shapes those production difficulties that you're going to come into guide and shape your writing and they determine they don't determine what you write but they do help you come up with come up with the the parameters the the walls of the ball pit in (laughs) in Bass's phrase so so that's the the two key thing oh and the third thing I'd say is when you are adapting from real life don't be afraid to move things around and 
and be prepared for someone to tell you you've done it completely wrong because you will all inevitably, mm. no matter how accurate you are, you will always get things wrong. Yeah. So that's, that's not a license to just get things wrong left, right and centre. <laughs> but it is definitely, like, bear in mind that if you're writing a drama, it is a drama, not a drama documentary. A drama right. documentary is something different again and a documentary is something even yeah. more different from that. And bear in mind that if you're writing a drama, you've got a responsibility to to provide all of the things that people are expecting but within a, a factual frame yep. so you're still writing something that has to have it's not just enough to just vomit the events on screen yeah. with a good cast you have to have all of the things that you're looking for all of the like the the yep. previous 45 star episodes that you've listened to of story toolkit all the things <laughs> That you're looking for, yes. like you know, a spine of action yeah. of conventions you know, of genre, and all, all that sort of thing. It all has to be there. You're just making your life more difficult by basing it on. In some ways, you're making it more difficult because you're basing it on a on a historical event that yep. controls your narrative flow. Yes, but at the same time, you're making it easier because you don't have to imagine. Oh, after Kurahi, where invent. will they go? Yeah, you the, don't di- have to the difficulty just uh, displaces to another problem. Yeah, it changes, yeah. not is solved. So yeah, that's 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 everything. Great. Thank you very much, Will. Thanks for coming on. My writing belly is full up. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, guys.